Samuel, Teddy, Irene, and Nora. We weren't going to bring all four, but it worked out that way, so here we go. We're going to be reading from Acts 3, uh, verses 1 through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. (laughs) And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico and and called, uh, called Solomon. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this new year. We are thankful that in this new year to come, no matter what befalls us, Lord, that you are sovereign. We thank you that you give us so much more than silver and gold in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for this gospel that has changed our lives and the life of this church. Lord, I pray that in this new year that this church here, Cross Point, would be a light in this county. Lord, that your gospel would come forth from this church and it would change men and women that are here. Thank you so much for the blessing of church and of family. Lord, I pray now that you would be upon Justin by your spirit. You would give him clarity of word. You would give him the ability to speak your truth so that Christ is glorified here in the new year. Uh, Lord, we celebrate again that he is king of 2022. In his name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Thank you, Josh and Emily and family. Josh, if you didn't plan on bringing the kids up, you and y'all sure do match well. <laughs> family pictures afterwards, right? Oh, that's what it is. Uh, Acts chapter 3 is where we will be this morning. I'm so excited about diving back into our study uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, as you're flipping there, just a couple of things. Remember, uh, Luke is in North Carolina. Uh, now he, he left Friday. Uh, and real funny, he texted me. So he got, he got him some of the cool AirPods for Christmas. And uh, he said that he was on the plane. And actually his message said, crying baby on the plane, AirPods in silence mode. And so, uh, or noise canceling mode. It worked out wonderful. So anyway, uh, He's in there. He's there until the fifth. I think he comes back the fifteenth. All right, Lauren. Yeah, he comes back the fifteenth. Uh, so we're praying for him as he's doing uh, some pretty intense uh, school there. Also, this is a great time. Uh, we talk about it every year. To if you haven't decided on a uh, Bible reading plan for this year, uh, there is one available in the foyer. Uh, and so it's uh, a chronological reading plan, one of the ones we did last year. And so if you haven't found one, you just kind of want to try to read the Bible all the way through, there's one available uh, on the, in the uh, table in the foyer. Anyway, Acts chapter 3, let's dive uh, right in. And so uh, where we've been, uh, we've 
Uh, we started this back in September, uh, and we've covered uh, up until we finished chapter two, uh, the beginning of December. And so uh, it's been slow going. We'll, we'll begin to speed up. So like this week and next week, we'll, co- we'll cover the complete chapter three. And so it's going to be kind of cool. So we'll start speeding up a little bit. Uh, but where we've been, we've seen uh, that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples and revealing to him, this is chapter one, revealing to him them uh, who he was, that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, and then he ascended and then they waited. While they were waiting, they replaced Judas. Uh, uh, and then on the Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit comes uh, and uh, they began to speak in languages uh, that were heard by different people that, that were there in Jerusalem uh, to celebrate Pentecost. And so they heard it in their own language. And we see Peter begins to preach. He exalts Jesus and 3,000 people get saved and the church is beginning to be born. And so we see Jesus ascend. We see the spirit descend. We see the church begin to go out. Where we finished in Acts chapter 2, we really, all of chapter 2 until we get to the very end happens in one day. Uh, this is the day of Pentecost, and then uh, when we get to 42 through 47, it kind of, Luke kind of pulls out, pulls back a little bit and says, all right, this is what the early church's life began to look like. Uh, in, in verse 43 of chapter 2, uh, he, he says this, though. Uh, so we, we read last week how they devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and breaking of bread. Verse 43, uh, Luke writes this. He says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the hands of the apostles. And so Luke writes that like it was, a, it was just something a part of their uh, ministry. And I'll speak to that in a minute. But what happens in chapter 3 is that Luke records one of those uh, occasions for us. Uh, and so we read about it in verse 43, like this was just something that happened. And then he all of a sudden he zooms back in when we get to chapter 3. And he, he, he describes or he teaches us uh, one of those signs and wonders that the apostles did. And it's a familiar one, uh, the one that, that Emily just read to us uh, of the healing of the lame man. And what we begin to see in chapter 3 is a, is a shift uh, from Pentecost when the Spirit came uh, to their life in Jerusalem. Uh, these were still uh, Jewish Christians, and what's really weird, and you know, some people think about it, most of them were from Galilee. Why didn't they go back to Galilee? Why, why did they, but anyway, they stayed in Jerusalem, uh, and actually three through, chapters 3 through 5 all take place in Jerusalem, even though that Jesus had told them that there would be his witnesses here in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. They were still here in Jerusalem, so we'll see kind of what their life looks like in Jerusalem. Their life was really made up, uh, or took place in three to one of three places. Rather, we see them in homes for worship and fellowship. It's what Acts 2, 42 through 47 teaches us. Uh, where or we see them going to the temple for prayer and specifically to witness. Or the third place that we see them is before the Sanhedrin in defense. So in chapters three through five, we're going to begin to see something develop. So far for them, everything's been like rainbows and unicorns, right? Like everything's been great. The Jesus ascended, the Spirit descended, the church, 3,000 people. That it's been awesome. But we have to remind ourselves, and I'm, I'm sure even in their mind, that, that Jesus himself taught them that resistance would come. That at some point that the enemy wouldn't like what was going on. Uh, matter of fact, he says that uh, they hated me first, so they're going to hate you. And so what we began to see is that the same 
people that came after Jesus are now going to start coming after the church, the, the apostles here. And, we, we, and so what happens is, is in chapter 3, we start with this, this miracle of heal, healing a lame man. And then a result of that, they are arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. And then we'll see that they go and then they pray and then there's another miracles that happens and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. This resistance begins to, to rise up. And so we began to see uh, the early church, how do they navigate that? But that's for weeks to come. This morning, we're on the healing of the layman. I, I, I titled uh, this sermon, uh, The Continuing of the Power of Jesus. And one of the things that is awesome uh, about uh, Christianity and uh, definitely in the book of Acts here is that when Jesus ascended and he was no longer on earth, his power was still here via the Holy Spirit. That the, the, the works that Jesus had began to do, what we read in the beginning of Acts, is that the apostles would continue to do that. Remember we talked how we started Acts, is that there was, a, there was a finished work of Christ, like salvation is done, forgiveness is done, justification is done, like he has paid the price. It is a finished Work, but there's also an unfinished work, and that is the, the continuing of the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. And we see this in the life. So Luke now zooms in, gives us an example of these signs and wonders. And actually, many of the people that I read the, over the past couple of weeks said that this story, the healing of the layman, even before Luke penned this letter to Theophilus, that it was already a, a story that was circulated among the churches. That this was, this, even the way he starts out, he says, now Peter or John, like he begins to tell a story. And there's just something that was already circulated through the churches to see how God was ultimately... And it all goes back to, I love how the Bible works together. How in, in chapter 2, how, how, and we'll visit this in a second, how Peter, when he preached, said that God attested to Jesus by mighty works, wonders, and signs. And what we're seeing here is that now that God is attesting to Jesus through the church, through these same type signs that we see that, that as the church continues, that God is still saying, like, this is my people. This is my plan. This is the purpose that we see and began to circulate and began to encourage. Now, I do want to remind us of this, and I think I have to, I have to do this, is that remind you of how uh, we looked in chapter 2, how God attested to Jesus. When, when Peter stands up after, the, after Pentecost and the Spirit comes down, Peter's words uh, to, 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 to the Jews that were uh, his listeners, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst and you yourselves. No, it's important, I thought, that, that we recap kind of what those things mean, the, the miraculous works and the wonders and the signs, because we see it all through the book of Acts. And to be honest with you, there are many sects of Christianity that have really abuse this idea of the signs and wonders and things like that. And so I think it's healthy for us to have a correct understanding of what's happening right now and why, why there are things such as miraculous works, signs and wonders, because if not, we run the risk of, of really, fall, really falling into traps that are detrimental for our faith. 
and for our knowledge of God. And so I want to talk about those for a minute. And when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, uh, the mighty works, whenever God attested to, to, to Jesus through mighty works, he's specifically talking about the supernatural work that God did through, through Jesus. So when Jesus healed a blind man or, or raised a dead man or, 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 or fed 5,000, these are supernatural things that God did, right? It, we, we understand that this is a supernatural thing. It's a mysterious thing. It's a mighty work. And the wonder is the marveling one has as ex- from experiencing that supernatural work. Everybody following me so far? All right. And then the sign is the intent of God's supernatural work, as in to point to a greater spiritual truth. You follow me? So God does a miraculous thing to get people's attention, but that miraculous thing really only sets up to a greater purpose. A great example of that is that Jesus feeds 5,000, and then what does he say? I am the what? Bread of life. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Miracle, right? There's a wonder, and the sign is, but I'm the resurrection and the life. Everybody follow me so far? And so that's the, that's the mode of the, the mighty works and the wonders and the sign that it points to a greater truth. And, and this morning in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we see all three of these things. We see a miraculous thing. We see wonder, but we also see the sign, the intent, the purpose. And so we're going to walk through those things. And this is important for me and you to understand. What, what the point, that the, the actual mighty work, this healing of a lame man, had an even greater significance than just healing a lame man. Like there was something greater that was going on. It's important for you and I to understand that because the, ultimately the purpose of this story is to preach Jesus and exalt Jesus. And Jesus alone. And when we see big moments like this, when we walk through the book of Acts and see what we see in chapter three, uh, uh, sorry, chapter four, whenever they're just putting people in the shadow of Peter and people are getting healed. Like, like what is, what is, and we see these big moments and we have this idea that like, that was their everyday life. And the reality is, is that it wasn't. It wasn't every day that Peter was going out saying, see this person and walk this person, but, but God used these moments for a greater purpose. The whole lives weren't built around just seeing these miracles, but God would use them for an exact purpose. And it's important for us to understand this because ultimately we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. We don't want to build, like, there are parts of Christianity that their whole faith is built on these miraculous things that God is doing. And, and if, you, if you pray for somebody that's sick and they, that God doesn't heal them, then something's wrong with your faith. And, 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 and this, that, and the other. And there's this whole thwarted part of Christianity that's based on this, just the miraculous. But you and I understand that most of Christianity is lived from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And we don't necessarily see all these miraculous things. It's important to understand because this can be misconstrued for the gain of man. Men today claim to to have this gift of healing and it's for their own good. And I'm going to say this, and you don't have to agree with me. We can talk about it later. But I believe that the gift, the gift of healing was specifically for the apostles. 
And when the apostles died off, the gift of healing that one would possess, I don't think it carries over anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't continue to heal. That God can still heal whom who he chooses. But the actual gift of healing, I think it ends with, with these guys. And like I so said, we could talk about that on a later, but the actual gift. And so what happens is, is that actually Jesus himself warned us, hey, be, be weary of people coming into the flock and, and claiming these things and everything's pointing to them. Like that's the, that's the bit, whenever what we're doing in the name of Christ is actually lifting up the name of me, then we're missing the mark. And it's important for us as a church, as first John tells us to test the spirits of everything that we see in here. That not everyone comes in the name of Jesus is there in the name of Jesus. And another thing that we see, and this is connecting it to the sign, the mighty work, the wonder, and the signs, is that when you walk through the book of Acts, these miraculous healings were usually for someone who was unsaved. Someone who didn't believe yet. And God would do this miraculous thing, then on the other side of that, somebody would stand up and preach a sermon. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for people to be healed from disease and no doubt. But hear me when I say this, Christian, all Christians will be ultimately healed one day. That's a matter of fact. So enough of the introduction. Let's actually get into the text. I wanted to kind of make sure we set up that lens because I think that when we get the point of the story, and here's what I think the point of the story is. Is this the continuing power of Jesus? That it didn't end when he ascended, but it continued on. That the the work that he started continued on through the hands of the apostles. That the gospel was still alive and active. That 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 Jesus sitting on the throne still had the power to change people's lives. That he still had, a, he still had the, the power to graciously intervene in people's lives and see a miracle happen. And we also see that it points to Jesus as Messiah. We'll come to that at the end. So, sermon is the continuing power of Jesus. What I want to do in this text is go at it from three different lenses. Uh, there were three People, groups of people that experienced this continuing power of Jesus on this day. There were the apostles, there was the layman, and there there were the the crowd that was there in the temple who saw the man leaping and coming into the temple. So I want to kind of go at it from all three of those angles to see this power of Jesus, the continuing power of Jesus. Number one is that it was preached by the apostles. This continuing power of Jesus was preached by the gospel, I mean by the, the apostles. Look at verse one, it says... Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And so this, this, uh, this terminology of going up is always associated with the temple, uh, both physically and spiritually. Uh, you have the Psalms of Ascent where they are going up to the, so the temple mount was up on a mound like, we, like, it, like it sounds, like it goes. So there's a literally physical walking up. But there's also a spiritual walking up to the presence of God. And so the, Luke is you know, he knows what he's doing there. So they're going up to the, to the temple and it says, uh, and notice this, that there is Peter and John. We don't, John doesn't really say anything. Matter of fact, I don't know if John knows how to talk because we don't really, <laughs> we don't really, he's just always with Peter, right? He's just always riding with Peter and doing whatever Peter's doing, but they're going in twos and there could be a couple reasons. One is for the idea of uh, two, you have to have at least two that be a, of a witness kind of a deal, or it could be like, remember when Jesus sent out 
the, the disciples in the 72 sent them out in twos. It could be the model that Jesus had taught them. So anyway, there's this following. So Peter and John are sending, going up into the temple at the ninth hour, uh, the time of prayer, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, the, the Jews would have really two prayer times that had sacrifice in them as well. It was a morning and the evening. It was like start your day off with the Lord, end your day off with God. It was a beautiful concept that, that God had graciously given the Jews uh, to, to be able to walk in communion with him. This time it would have been the second one, so they were walking into the afternoon prayer. And some people say, well, the Christians, why are they still going to the temple to, to pray and things like that? Because, because they were Jewish Christians. Like, it's not until some time that they actually separate themselves from the Jews fully. And so they still went into the temple to pray. Uh, the, 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 the things that God had ordained through, through prayer and things like that weren't negative things for the Jews. So the the apostles continued to go in prayer, but they didn't adhere to any of the redemptive qualities of these worship services, if you will, these times inside the temple. But here's, I think they were going to pray. I don't think that they were just like mischievous, mischievous people. But as I said earlier, is that the temple was a place of witness for them. This would have been a time that there had been a lot of people at the temple. Right? Like this was the, the second, this was the afternoon prayer time. And so that they, I believe they were going to the temple very intentionally. I think they were living very missional. I think that, that, that they, Peter and John, true to Acts 1 8, were being witnesses and they understood that there were going to be people at this place at a certain time that they could go and witness to, to share the gospel with, to, to, to be uh, ambassadors for Christ, that, that, he, that they would go. So I believe that they were being li- very, very, very living very missional. It's, it's a terminology that we like to use here and that you'll continue to hear more and more. I, I, you can say it like this, in Acts 2, 42 through 47 is what you have is a people in place. Like they're all together. That's like, like our Sunday morning. There's a people in place. We're all here. We're worshiping together. We're loving on one another. We're, we're sitting around God's word. And then we leave here. We become what? People in places. That we, we, we're people in place and we're people in places. And that's exactly what we see happening in that chapter three is that at the end of two, they were people in a place worshiping together. But then in Acts three, they're people in places. They're going out intentionally living missional. They were going where they were going on purpose because they knew there would be people there who they could witness to, that they could share the love of Jesus with. And you can, the preaching in the power of Jesus is connected to living in the power of Jesus. So we understand that eventually Peter is going to to tell this man, rise up and walk, then he's going to stand up and preach a sermon. But listen to me, they were living on purpose. They were living in the power of Jesus way before he was preaching in the power of Jesus. You follow me? They were living intently. They were living missional. They were living with a purpose in their life. They were going to a place that they would have the opportunity to share the gospel. Listen to me. They were living intentionally. They were going to a specific place intentionally. They were going to a place very missional, yes, to pray to God, but also there would be people there. Actually, the most amount of people there on a daily basis were going to be there. And so one of the aspects of preaching in the name of Jesus is that we live in the power of Jesus. 
So it says, as they were walking up, they were going up. Verse 2 introduces us to the lame man. And we'll come back to him in a minute. But as they were walking up, a lame man was being carried in, in place of the gate. I never noticed this until this week. I'm going to confess to you, and I've preached this passage, I don't know how many times. But in my mind, it's always been that the lame man was already there, and then Peter and John walked by. I know Scripture tells us at the same exact time that they were actually carrying the lame man in as Peter and John were coming up. Like, it wasn't that he was already there, but it had happened. I'll, I'll draw our, our attention to that in a minute. But as Peter and John are coming up, they're carrying this guy in. It all happens. It's happening together. I thought that was pretty interesting. I'll tell you why in a little bit. So they were... They were carrying him up, and they placed him at the gate, and Scripture calls it the beautiful gate. There's many different people try to figure out what, where that gate is, which gate that is. There's a couple different uh, op, uh, options of what that gate could be, but the, the picture of it is there's this beautiful bronze gate, and beside it, there's this man who's lame. And that beautiful picture of religion has nothing to do to change this man can do nothing to help his situation. So Peter and John are walking up, living on purpose. And as they're going, there's some group of dudes that are bringing this lame man up. And the scripture, actually verse 2 says that daily he would be laid at this gate and he would ask for alms. We see that in verse 3. He says, uh, actually in the verse 2, laid him at the beautiful gate to ask alms for those who were entering the temple Verse 3, it says, Now seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, we asked to receive alms. He, he asked them to receive alms. And I'll explain that, but a, a donation, a charitable gift. And now check out what Peter says to him in verse 4. Peter directed his attention, his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. So now Peter is walking into the temple. Him and John are walking intentionally into the temple. They're, they're living on purpose. And now there's this lame man that has crossed before their eyes. And he sees him. And he says, look at me. And this is important. And I'll get to this again in a minute. But when the guy asked for alms, he didn't even look at, put, put his head up. He didn't even look at them whenever he, he was asking for alms. There was, it gives this picture of he... He wasn't expectant. He, he was living in disgrace. He was living in shame so much that he wouldn't even lift his head up to ask for alms. It wasn't a picture of like a lazy. It was literally a picture of there's no need for me to ask because somebody may flip a coin at me, somebody may not. And Peter says, look at me. You guess the power of that moment? Here's this guy who wouldn't even lift up his eyes. And Peter looks at him and says, hey, look at me. As if Peter's saying, I see you. I see you. I see you. See, when we're walking in purpose, when we're walking in the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus gives, gives us eyes to see needs. There's a chance that Peter and John had walked by this guy before. I can't prove it, but you can't not prove it. It says that he was there daily. So this wasn't Peter and John's first time going to the temple. Probably was the first time walking through the gate called Beautiful. But today, they saw. And whenever when we're when we're living in the in the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus opens our eyes 
to see the needs around us. And they, so they, they see him and says, look at us. And uh, verse 5 says he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something. So he gets perked up, and then, and then Peter says, I have no silver nor gold to give you. Imagine the letdown again. He says, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And check out this command. Rise up and walk. Now, like, let's don't go to our view of this story. Like, let's go to that guy's view of the story. He's like, are you just picking me up to let me down again? Right, like, look at me. I'm going to give you something. And it's like salt in the wound. Now get up and walk. You imagine the doubt that was in that dude's mind? That Peter was literally calling him to do something that he in his own ability could not do? Catch me, I need you, this is important in gospel preaching. This is important in preaching Jesus and the power of Jesus that ultimately he was calling him to do something that that man was very well aware of that he could not do for himself. I'll come back to that in a few too. I know I keep saying that, so I'm just going to keep, my sermon's just going to keep doing this. Uh, We'll be here for a little bit. Silver and gold do I have, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I read a story this week that Thomas Aquinas one day visited Rome and met with Pope Innocent II. And when Thomas Aquinas was in the, the, the Vatican, he was amazed at all the glory of the building and the beautiful structure and, and all the riches that filled this place. And the Pope looked at Thomas Aquinas and said, no longer do we say silver and gold, we have none. And Aquinas looked at his pope and said, that's probably why you can no longer say rise up and walk. Because here's the picture. It is in the power and the name of Jesus that Peter says, rise up and walk. When he he calls on the power and the name of Jesus, it's literally saying in his name, in, in the way that he did it, in the power that Jesus lived. This is what, what he's saying in Jesus's way, in Jesus's power. And Peter reaches down his hand. We see this in verse 7. And he took him by the right hand. Notice that Peter's command was also connected to a hand. That Peter called the guy, but he also reached out his hand. That's just a little implication. But then he picked him up. And here's another thing about preaching in the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus is that Peter commanded this guy to walk and stuck his hand out in sure confidence that God was going to heal him. Peter had confidence in the name of Jesus that, that, that when he reached down to grab this guy's hand and pull him up, that the dude was actually going to be able to stand and be able to walk. He had actually confidence in the name of Jesus, not just that he, that he preached the name of Jesus, but he had confidence that Jesus could actually restore this guy, that Jesus could actually change this guy's life. Peter fully believed this man would be healed. Number two, so we see the, it was preached by the apostles. Number two is that the the continuing power of Jesus was experienced by the lame man. So now let's go back to verse two and it says a man lame from birth was being carried. So here's this lame man. I wish I knew his name, uh, but we're just calling him lame man. And, And Luke is, very clear to tell us that he's been lame from birth. 
Because what that indicates is, is that he didn't have some kind of accident and he couldn't walk right now. Or there wasn't some kind of disease that he just contracted. Or from, like from the moment he breathed his first breath, he has always been lame. He is in an impossible situation. There is no hope for him. And it says that he was carry daily. Actually, in Acts chapter 4, when Peter continues on, what we'll see is that Peter actually tells us that this guy was over 40 years old. That's Acts 4.22, if you want to check me on that. But that actually says that he's greater than 40 years old. So for 40 years plus, this dude has never walked. I remember when I tore my ACL. My MCL, I got all three of them. ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Got all three of them whenever I was like 21. And my left leg... I wish I could say it was an awesome story, but I was playing the, I was playing intramural basketball. I, I used, used to say, I was out playing basketball in Texas, and uh, tore my ACL. Well, you played, yeah, it was just intramural. But anyway, uh, it wasn't nothing. But I, when I tore my ACL, I remember when I had, <clears throat> when I was about to have this, actually before the surgery, when I kind of lost mobility, I began to, very quickly began to lose my muscles, right? Because you're not working that thing. And then, so right after surgery, uh, I mean, my doctor's like, dude, I need you to start physical therapy like two days or two days after surgery. So anyway, but what I remembered of not using this, this muscle, whatever, Joey, what's this muscle called? <laughs> the, my thigh. Not using it, right? <laughs> that immediately I began to lose my strength. I began to lose. And so listen to me. This dude has never developed those muscles. He's never stood up a day in his life. Like, Catch the, the, the hopelessness of the situation. And it says that he's carried daily. And what's really weird, and it caught my mind, is that why are they just now carrying him in? And why so late? Because this was like the second one, so he could have had all day. Maybe they were running late that day. Maybe, I don't know what the story was, but, but, but for some reason, whenever they're coming up at three in the afternoon, they're just now getting this lame man here at this time. He was carried. And he was carried there to ask for alms, which are charitable gifts. The rabbis taught that there were three pillars of the Jewish faith. There was the Torah, there was worship, and there was charity. And so if you needed charity, if you needed alms, a great place to be is right outside the temple because any Jew that's been in there is going to come and at least flip a quarter maybe. Not going to look at you. Not going to really pay attention, but oh, mark that off though. Boom, got it, got that pillar taken care of. Click. Got it, right? So catch the context. You have a lame man who's been that way for over 40 years. He's carried every day to the same place outside the temple, but he himself, Jew, a Jew never been able to go into the temple. Never been able to go in and worship. Never been able to go in and experience the presence of God. Never been able to go inside and pray. And for 40 plus years, this was his situation. It's a hopeless one. To ask people to maybe give him a coin. And you can see that he really wasn't into it in verse 3. It gives a picture that he wasn't even set down yet, and he just said, alms, alms. A very despondent way to ask. Like he, it shows a lack of expectancy. It, It literally, I wrote it like this. We see a man that is, physically, spiritually, and emotionally broken here in this moment. 
So much so, he's just like, alms, alms. Didn't even look up, didn't expect to get anything. And maybe he was running late, but it was actually at the perfect time that he got there. Because as he was being carried, Peter and John were walking in, and this is what I believe is called a God-ordained moment. This dude was at the bottom of the bottom. And it just so happened that there were two Christians who were walking intentionally and on purpose. In verse 5, after Peter says, look at us, you can see that his expectancy changes. It went from alms, alms to look at me. And it actually says that he was actually expecting to get something, right? And Peter and John, we know I've already said it. I don't have silver or gold, probably morale down. But what I do give to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And here we finally get to the mighty work of God. Rise up and walk. And so Peter reaches his hand, catch the order here, raises him up, and then he begins to walk. So I want to show you, notice these things about his healing. Number one, verse seven, we see that he first had to be raised before he could walk. He first had to be raised before he could walk. And here's the beautiful thing about preaching the gospel and, and what God commands is that the command to walk was accompanied by the power to walk. A power that this guy had never experienced before. The command to walk was accompanied by the power to walk. And here's a note for you if you want to write this down. God never commands something that he doesn't supply the power to do it. Even in repentance. Even in salvation. He commands us to repent. He also supplies the power to do it. The ability to do it. This guy, an impossible command. Rise up and walk. He couldn't. But God supplied the power to get up and walk. Because God himself, spiritually, is the one that picked him up. Listen, that's why what we preach as a church has to have the power to change lives. So we see that first he had to be raised before he could walk. Number two is that his healing was, number one, it was passive. There was nothing that this dude did to be healed. There was nothing this dude did to, to gain the ability to walk or to leap or to go into the temple. It was something that was done to him. It was something that Peter said, rise up and walk. And in the name of Jesus, let me, so it's not Peter, so it's Jesus who, who raises this guy up and gives him strength. And actually the doctor Luke says what? Uh, his feet, and ultimately, literally, the, the, the original says his ankle bones. It doesn't just say ankles. It says ankle bones that, that immediately that, that he had been healed. This muscles that he never developed gained strength. These ankle bones could support his body, and it was something that was done to him. It wasn't something that he did to himself or for himself. It was something that, that God did to him. So his healing was passive. His healing was unexpected. He didn't, go, he didn't come here that day anticipating that he was going to be healed. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't get carried there that day anticipating that, that he was going to walk into the temple or run into the temple or leap into the temple to worship. It was very unexpected, his healing was. 
which shows us God's sovereign will that God sought. He wasn't the only lame man at the gates that day, I'm sure. But it was him who God intervened on that day and chose to heal him. It was passive. It was unexpected. Number two, number three, it was, or number, I don't know what number it is. It was immediate. It says that, it says that, that, that Peter grabbed him by the hand and immediately his feet and ankle bones gained strength. It was an, an immediate healing. It was, it was passive, it was unexpected, and it was immediate. In an instant, his feet and ankles gained strength, and number the, whatever the next number is, it was complete. Verse 8 tells us that he leaped up and he stood and listened to me. He began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. His healing was passive, it was unexpected, it was immediate, it was complete, and there's your mighty work, church. There's your mighty work that they saw. Right, you follow me? Just as a note for the believer, God chose you. You were the lame man at the gate that had alms, alms. But God sent the gospel to you for you to hear, for you to believe. God chose you, not of yourself. It's passive. Listen to me. God raises us up. Just like Peter grabbed this man by the hand and raised him up. Listen to me. What God first does, because we're dead in our sin, is that God reaches down and he raises us up. It's called regeneration. And the fruit of that regeneration is that we place our faith in Jesus, that we begin to walk in, in, in the way that Jesus wants us to walk. We, we trust in him. Listen to me. God chose you. He raises you up out of the bog. And listen to me. When God saves you, he does it immediately when you call upon him. It's an immediate thing. And listen to me. When God saves you, he saves you fully and completely. Now, there's a part of our sanctification that we're not where, we, where God's going to, but listen to me. When it comes to the judicial system of heaven, you are completely saved. It is finished. It is done. And listen to me. You're a child of God, holy and fully with all the privileges of being a child. Just like this man, for the very first time, he walked into the temple where everyone knew who he was. But at this point, he had all the rights and privileges to be in the temple as anybody else that was in there that day. Same for you, child of God. If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have all the privilege of anybody else to be in this place this morning. Just like him. And just listen to me. All those people knew who he was. That was a part of the, the all. But it didn't stop him from walking in there and leaping in there. Number three. I'm going to wrap up with this one. So it was the power of Jesus was preached by the apostles. It was experienced by the layman. And number three, it was witnessed by the crowd. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, and while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And so we've had our mighty word, God completely healed this man. 
Now we have our wonder. People, hey, this was that man that's always been at the gate, and, and now he's in, and, and God's got their attention. This is, we know who he was, and, here, and, and what's the sign is ultimately to point to Jesus. That's what we'll look at next week is that, that Peter understands all these people rush in, and God sets him up a home run again, right? He did it at Pentecost, bringing thousands of people to Jerusalem for to, to, to observe Pentecost, and the Spirit comes, and there's already people there for him to preach to. Well, the same thing happens here. This miracle happens, this mighty work, wonder sign. Everybody following the formula? Like that's a formula as we walk through Acts. And so what we see is that, and what we'll see is that Peter stands up and preaches Jesus as both Lord and Messiah. But I think, and I may be bending it a little bit here now, but everything so far in Peter's sermons have always had a messianic tone to them, right? I remember in chapter two when he talked about the last days uh, as he walked through his sermon, everything was pointing to Jesus as the promised Messiah. And so when the people saw this, Scripture says that they, they were in wonder. They were in amazement. They knew this man. But what I also believe is that they knew Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, that are talking about this, about the Messiah to come. It says that when he comes, that the, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf be unstopped, and then, then shall the lame man leap like a deer. These guys would have known this prophecy of Isaiah that prophesied about when the Messiah comes, there will be lame men who leap like a deer. There's your sign. Like there it is. Like, why, why is this story here? Why did God heal this man? It's to preach Jesus as the Messiah, to preach Jesus as the Lord of all, to preach Jesus as the promised one, that he's the only Savior of the world, to point people to Jesus as the Lord and Messiah, which is exactly what Peter will do in the rest of chapter 3. And these people had a choice to make, where they could believe or they could be like the other guys at Pentecost and scoff. And the reality is that's the same thing that we have, that anytime we see God move, anytime we hear the gospel, whenever we, we preach about what God has done, we have to choose that day how we're going to respond to that. And that's what we'll see next week is these guys how to figure out how we're going to respond to this, how we're going to, how we're going to process of what, how we're going to process what happened. And so come back next week, we'll finish up this, but Things to remember is that, man, we live in the power of Jesus. And when we do, he allows us to see. And we love people by reaching a hand out. And we, we call them to do hard things. We call them, ultimately, whenever we preach the gospel and tell people to repent and die to themselves, listen to me, that is impossible. We love self. But by the grace of God, people can actually die to themselves. We can actually repent. And so we call people to do things that only God can empower them to do. Right? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for this, this story in Scripture about this lame man that was, that's healed. God, I pray that we as a church just fall, fall in love with your word even more. God, as we study these things and we see how 
you work and how you've, how you've worked in the past, how you continue to work today. God, I pray that however your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts and minds today, God, that if you're calling us to do something, God, you give us the faith to do that, God. If, if we need to confess, if we need to repent, if we need to, today, if we need to, if we need to trust in Jesus, maybe we've been trying to live this life, maybe we've been trying to, maybe we've been trying to walk, but we haven't been raised up yet. God, I pray that today that you raise people to life. God, maybe we've been looking at our situation and going, it's impossible. God, we thank you we can look at your story in Acts 3 that says it's not impossible. God, for the one in here that maybe feels as if they don't, they don't belong, they don't have a seat at the table, God, may we see in your scripture that all have the privilege to walk into your presence that are yours. No matter what the enemy is whispering, God, because of the blood of Jesus, we have access to you. Anyone who's called upon the name of the Lord is saved. So God, as we, as we enter this time of reflection, as we think about your goodness, think about what you've done, God, we also look at where our hearts are, where our minds are. God, you remind us of the blood of Jesus that has covered our sins, that has made us white as snow. that makes us sons and daughters, that brings us into a family, adopts us into a family. The blood of Jesus that empowers us to live missionally, to see others around us. God, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that has changed everything. We thank you for it. If you're in here this morning and you need to talk, you need to pray, I'll be standing down here on the front. If you need to use the front up here as an altar, you can do that. The, the band's going to lead us. And thank you, Jesus, for the blood. And as we sing, I want you to, want you to think about the blood that, that has made you a child of God. That gives you access to the throne room of grace to receive mercy in time of need. And that same blood has the power to save anyone. Nobody is too far gone for the blood to cover. So whether that's you or a person in your family or your friend group or your workplace, may we pray the blood of Jesus over these people. I'm going to invite you to stand. and sing as we sing.